Welcome to the Ratness Podcast. This is uh, episode 75 of four <laughs> episodes. Thank you for listening. And today we have publisher, comic artist, Cameron Hathaway. Am I pronouncing that right, Hathaway? You are, absolutely. And uh, we're going to be talking about the publication of his first uh, of many to come in the series of Clusterfucks comics. So, Cameron, thanks for being on the show, man. Appreciate you. Very nice to meet you, Cameron. This is thanks my for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I can't wait to talk about this beautiful comic published by Ratneck Sicker Co. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it, it's it's hard to say. It's a lot of words that don't make sense uh, in our name, but that's fine. We'll get there. Uh, so, I want to jump right into it. So, you obviously talk about being furloughed because of COVID nineteen in a comic in clusterfucks um and that's it was that the catalyst to get everything going to get this project started or where did it really blossom that when i started doing a little auto bio memoir comic in clusterfucks about being furloughed that definitely helped gain momentum and steam i had originally just had this idea to make a underground comics anthology back in like december of 2019 thinking okay this is something i can do like on the weekends this is when i can have downtime i want to just have some of my comics that i was trying to uh, submit other places published under like one roof i've always been of the mindset if, if no one wants it then fuck it i'll do it myself i'll publish it i'll write it i'll illustrate it whatever and then when the pandemic hit and then I had all this free time on my hands. I really needed to an outlet, like a creative outlet to really just kind of express myself and what I was experiencing. And like, I'm not, I'm not unique or alone. Everyone has their own story about what, how the pandemic affected them uh, with, you know, half of Los Angeles being furloughed at, at once, trying to find a job was really hard. Um, so I really just, just sat down at the drawing table, just started illustrating, sketching out first of like, okay, if I'm going to do this, maybe I'll just do six pages, fuck it. And then that kind of steamrolled into, well, now I have more ideas. I want to touch on this and that. And so part one was in the first issue here. And then part two and the conclusion will be in the second issue. And it's funny because like I finished it in November and obviously a lot of shit has, you know, either gone one way or the other since then. So it's really funny that it'll be kind of like in retrospect. The only thing I really had to like edit in post was like the final like coronavirus, uh, coronavirus like deaths. But um, that really kind of steamrolled from there. Um, I had reached out to a couple people ahead of time saying like, hey, I'm doing this thing. I love your work. Maybe we can, you know, uh, we can work together in the future at some point. And then when I started just posting more regularly on the Instagram, people reached out. They're like, hey, I'd love to submit something. And so I was like, okay, great. Let's get this started. And that's where kind of really finished and then two and three issues are going to be out in the can here shortly. So, you know, it's been a crazy journey this past year, but I'm glad I've been keeping busy. You're not putting anything like aside just because you got one issue out. You're like two, three, maybe four are coming soon. You have yeah. a, a deadline. You have like what you want to do with it throughout the year. And uh, that's awesome, man. It's very important to keep on track. Oh yeah. Uh, like uh, with, 
with just the three issues, I, that's kind of what I wanted to go into the year with. It's like, okay, if I can get one out at the start of the year, then maybe at the summer and then later in winter, that's great. I'm not giving, putting any pressure on myself to try to get this out monthly or to try to keep other people on track. A lot of the contributors for the second and third issue, some of them are from uh, issue one still, and they have other things they wanted to contribute, but other people, like I give them plenty of leeway and like very soft deadlines and then very hard deadlines. So like everyone, I've only had one or two issues with the first issue getting out. But uh, after that, I mean, if no one's going to have stuff ready, we can always push it back to the future issues. And if a fourth issue comes about, I'm really going to start playing with that idea when the second issue is done. So by this summer, I'll have a better idea because I still have people contacting me going, hey, I'd love to submit for an upcoming issue. And I have to tell them like, okay, it's not monthly. So, you know, you might see your stuff in print next year. But if you want to be a part of this, by all means. No, that's awesome, though. Just having people excited about it and being lined up is half the battle because oh, then yeah. you can juggle. And you, you come from a background at, a little bit in broadcasting and, and entertainment, a li- right? Weren't you doing a podcast for many years? Uh, so you kind of get this stuff, uh, how to work with other people on uh, an, a singular idea or project and put it all together. It's like everyone has their, their input. Someone has to be in charge of putting it all together. Absolutely. Uh, it really helped because, yeah, like you mentioned, I did have a video and an audio podcast back in the day called Cami's Comic Corner, where it was weekly. I would review all the comics that came out that week and give them, like my favorite picks of like Marvel, DC, Image, etc. And I mean, I had all this free time and I was single, so I was able to like film, edit several hours worth and add in graphics and post like this whole thing took several days. And so like, I had no life. So I was like, sure, I'll be in the best podcast host ever. But I mean, through there, it really kind of evolved into writing and then writing reviews and then using my talents elsewhere. And eventually it got me a gig at um, famous sponsors of Filmland magazine. They have a comic book imprint called American Gothic Press, and they were really looking for someone to help expand the brand and, you know, really help uh, bring their titles to the forefront. Um, And so I got, I've been all over the spectrum of comics. I've reported on them. I've interviewed people. I've helped create them. And now like I'm actually a creator in my own right. I'll be at, I'm not the best illustrator. You know, you just got to work with your comfort zone there. But I know talented people. And so I'm bringing those people under one roof. And that's where I'm coming in is being the guy, the point person, like you said, like, okay, stay on track. Here's what issue one's going to look like. Here's where issue two is going to look like. Let's go. And I'm the biggest cheerleader as well. Yeah, totally, man. And I think that's so important when you're doing a business uh, that is for yourself, but involves a lot of people. Because ultimately, you're the one that benefits or loses from how this does. And other people, especially artists, you know, they, they be, we all do it as an artist. It, it, we're very um, fruit or uh, what's the word? Like, just hard to rely on. Like, if you give someone a deadline, <laughs> if you give someone a deadline and, you know, it's Monday, expect to get it on Thursday. You know, so it's, it's hard to juggle. Moose, we got a dog here. Hold on. What? Yeah. Moose, what's up? Come inside. The Bruce is on the loose. Go, go, go inside. Go. All right, man. Our apologies again. Uh, but what I'm saying is to to be that point person and to juggle a bunch of different artists and and knowing that we're all slackers and 
put procrastinators and put everything on like a true artist is, you know, I don't know. I don't know too many good writers or artists that don't work last minute. I, I respect if you can, but I can't. So that's kind of my MO. I'm more of a creative writer and I come from a writing background. And so like when, it, like years ago in college, there'd always be these deadlines for like essays and, you know, like 12 pages or whatever. And like, I'd always have classmates who are just like freaking out, like, Oh my God, this is due in a month. And I would always be the guy who would like wait till the last day or two to get started. And I would still get like a, a B plus a minus. So I would never, I mean, it just came naturally to me. I know some people it's like, it'll scare them the bejesus out of them to actually sit down and write something, even if you're given all the time in the world, but no, that's not my method. My method is okay. Just wait till the last second. Then I'll feel energized to go and do this thing. And, you know, hopefully it'll come out best. When it comes to your comics, at least the strips in Clusterfucks 1, um, did you write that out script-wise before, like with the idea, or was it more of a collection of like the thought in general and not so much a script, or how, how what was the process like on that? It was definitely taking different parts of what I'd been experiencing and just like writing them all down on a page and then kind of going through and pruning them of which would translate the best in this medium. Like, because it's all about wanting to show it and not necessarily uh, tell it. You mentioned Stan Lee in one of the uh, earlier podcasts and how, yeah, he was a whole master of just like, all right, this is what's happening. And it's like, yeah, Stan, we get it. I, I have eyes. I can actually see the illustrations. <laughs> so yeah, it's just one of those things where, okay, I'm going to take the, the best ones that I feel like I can really like express myself with and just, and just uh, translate them that way. So yeah, it, it was a little bit of script writing, but I mean, it's also, it was only a couple of pages, so it wasn't necessarily like, I wasn't like Tom King sitting down or Alan Moore and like writing out a whole novel and then just adapting it from there. It was just very much more simplistic than what I'm used to when it comes to creative writing. Yeah. Well, comic books kind of have that option because it is picture driven. That's the, the end of it is like, I think David said it in that first episode is like, you can have a comic without words, but not without pictures. And yeah. uh, that that's kind of like the rule. Right. So, <laughs> uh, but it's powerful when you can use uh, dialogue or just a narrative and make that scene or that, that frame just that much better. Now, would you say that when you were coming up with each frame or kind of coming up with those first six pages that you were doing, you had an intention going forward and then as you were creating it, it kind of skewed or kind of morphed into something pivoted? Different? Or would you say that you knew where it was going to be and what you wanted to do? Like you said, oh, lots happened since November. Now I get to, you know, tell the story this way. Do you have a specific voice you're looking for or is it kind of morphing as the changes happen in the world? Oh, it was definitely morphing. Uh, I wouldn't say it was like Simon Hanselman with Crisis Zone, where like every day it was like whatever was in the news. But it was definitely when I started in like May, it was definitely like, okay, this is what's happening to me right now. This is the experience I have. And maybe I'll open, leave it open-ended for like a future issue. I don't know how long I'm going to do this for, or I don't know how long people are going to care about it. So I'll just, you know, write what's happening now in the past several months and then by the time issue two comes along and, you know, hopefully I'll be done by with, uh, by at that point, maybe I'll have a better sense of where it's going to land. But yeah, at, with the cliffhanger with this first issue, I was just thinking, okay, well, this could be it. I could be getting a job by the next time issue two comes out and I won't have time to even illustrate. 
a part yeah. two, but I, I didn't. So I, I continued <laughs> on. And uh, yeah, uh, it, the last uh, part in issue two, I mean, you'll definitely notice the style of like my art style changes a little bit. Like it gets slightly better only because that muscle memory is coming in and I was illustrating every day. And I was getting passionate about it. And anytime one of the contributors would send me their pages in, I'd look at it. I get reinvigorated all over again. Like, Oh yes, this, we're going to make this the best fucking issue. So yeah, I got to up my game too. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, in the first issue here, like on the first page, I explain how I don't really see myself as an artist, but more of a con artist, just because I like to surround myself with more talented people to make it seem like, no, 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 I'm one of the cool guys. Just don't focus on me. Focus on the talent in general. Don't single me out. Otherwise, you're not going to be getting the bang for your buck. That was a great statement, dude. I have to say, right? The, one you. of the first things that you read when you open it up makes, I mean, it's just, it's hilarious. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I really wanted to just like plant my flag and just make sure people knew what they were getting into. <laughs> yeah, no, it was awesome because you could have just as well not included like an artist statement, but you made it exactly what the book was about. And it, it was great. I, it kind of puts it all together for me. Um, when I look at the comic as a whole, and I spent a little bit of time between uh, you sending me the files and it going to print, sure. looking at it and adjusting a couple things. I don't know if you can see the edits, we can talk about that, uh, but there, there's nothing, I didn't take away anything from what you gave me, just uh, border-wise, uh, the way things are laid out. But that's one of my favorite things about it though, because I definitely noticed like I, I did have, when I was sending you off the PDF file, I was like, wait, like how is this gonna translate like in the printers, like on their side? Yeah, those files end at the end of the image. Mm -hmm. And so, from it being just having a border on your side coming to me it didn't have the border or whatever so it was just little tweaks and adjustments before it could go to print to make sure nothing was severely cut off and no names or numbers were lost but i ultimately i i love the way it turned out and i'm oh, so i do too for you oh i was so excited when i saw the borders because i don't know it adds like an extra element to it especially like on the cover here that i'm looking at that, yeah, it's just, it, I don't know, it, feel, it feels like more professional in that sense. But no, you guys did an amazing job. So I really thank you for having that eye and just going, okay, well, I'm pretty sure this is what he's, what he's aiming for. I took a risk, dude. I was like seriously afraid you were going to kill me. I was like, this is what this will send me. I'm going I'm to give it to him and I'll be like, it's just this. And he's going to be like, no, dude, I wanted it like this. No, you ruined my vision. Take these seven boxes no. back. And more power to you. If you would come at me like that, I would be like, I get it, dude. Like 100%, I'll reprint it for free, whatever. Like, uh, but I'm, I'm super glad you didn't. <laughs> oh, man. It, like, it would have, something really fucked up would have had to have happened for me to have been like anywhere near reversing that smile on my face that day because it was just like all right this is like my baby like i've had like like i've mentioned like my creative writing i've self-published and like prose and holding that you're like yes no this is real like, it's in the world but like comic books the thing i've loved for like a majority of my life and actually creating my own and being a part of it in that sense like it would have had to been like on fire or something for me to yeah, notice yeah. that like oh like pages cut in half or like <laughs> i don't remember it being cut in half like this but sure i guess yeah is this part of it i'm not gonna lie the day that we dropped off the comics to you in la i wish that i had a video <laughs> recording so that we could put it up here right now the smile on your face and the joy that was emanating out of you was it was 
encompassing. I walked in and I couldn't help but smile when we walked into the lobby of your uh, apartment. It was amazing, bro. It was amazing. And to see the joy on your face made us drive home with smiles on our faces. Yeah. We're like, LA doesn't suck. LA's okay. <laughs> okay, the traffic's not so bad. It's all worth it in the end. But no, yeah, like I had to put on like three masks just to contain my smile. Yeah, it was it was crazy. Yeah. And they didn't work because I saw it. <laughs> yeah. And now we all have COVID. That's how we got it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. All three of us. <laughs> oh man. No, it was great though. It, I, I was actually excited to deliver them to you because I was like, all right, get to like drop something off in person. It it saved me maybe 20 bucks, but got to say what's up and that was really important you know so yeah it's so, that yeah i'm sorry continue oh i was gonna say it's that connection that you have with like like whether it's a publisher or if someone's doing t-shirts for you if you have that just that that relationship and that you can see the person that you're interacting with it's not some facelift corporation or like some right. on-demand print service that you're not going to get answers back you're going to get a please hold here's our customer toll-free line to hold on for like five hours and we'll tell you man it looks good but you don't know that you're a person we were we were talking ahead of time i know you through charles globitz so i was like okay this guy's legit i can take a chance on this hey thanks well thanks yeah. for taking a chance on us yeah yeah, yeah. Are you, so are you have you worked with charles before or are you get you just friends uh like internet friends homies? he was he was my illustration teacher in uh junior college so you went to what years were you there because he was my illustration teacher too at city college yeah, City College. Yeah. Um, oh, it must. I went there. I took. I took a, a while before I actually graduated. Uh, I was there between 2006 and 2012. So at one point, he was working a semester. Yeah, we, pro we. There's a good chance we rubbed elbows because I was there like 2007, 2008. Yeah, he was such a crazy guy, and like <laughs> yeah. I could really tell he loved. Like he was passionate about illustration, and he was passionate about comics that I was like, okay, this is my man. This uh, And so every Wednesday, I think I had him on Wednesdays, I would go to the comic shop, I'd get my comics, I'd bring them to class, I'd read them ahead of time, and like he'd be setting up, he'd be putting stuff on the boards, he'd be sneaking glances over, just like, what, what comics that? What, what you reading there? And then that's how it started. And then he, we had a mutual love for like Jardway's Umbrella Academy. And so he asked me to bring in my comics one day, he scanned them in, and then he like used them as a part of the presentation on the class. It blew my mind. I was like, oh my God, we're talking about archetypes using like Umbrella Academy. Dude. And the rest of the class, they were like, oh, whatever. Can we like, is it the bell yet? Can we leave? We might have been in the same fucking class, dude. I swear. Really? <laughs> <laughs> he would know. We have to ask him and get his like little roll call sheet. Yeah, if he has his old roll call, we could check it out. I wasn't in class much, but like when I was there, I was that sounds very familiar. And I was definitely like that Wednesday class. Uh, it's so funny. I was talking to him about it too. Is like half the the class responds really well to the way he taught, and then half the class has never heard anything like it. And when he's talking about eating mushrooms and the trees breathing and shit, <laughs> I, I, so I was like, this girl next to me, her face just like was like, what? I'm in college. Like this isn't what? What? And every you know the the kids that it clicks with, you're like, yeah, <laughs> I know what you're talking about, Charles. Yeah. yeah, so funny. He was such a great teacher and like very uh, on the same level, like as a student with still holding an authoritative like teacher presence, you know? Oh, totally. And just the an stuff he, yeah, and the stuff he was like showing, like with his own personal works and stuff, and oh, like, the very. 
oh, it was crazy. And I was very motivating. And it's like, I always wanted to like own one of his paintings or something just because it was like, this is legit. Like this, do you peasants not realize you're in the company of a God right here? And so, yeah, just seeing him just skyrocket through Fanographics and all of his other comics, it's like good for him. I'm so glad he's finally getting the respect he deserves. 100%. We were talking about him in the, uh, you know, I, we could go on about him, but that's crazy that we might have been in the same class together. It's really funny. We have to ask him. We have to ask him. He has to have records somewhere. <laughs> we'll figure that out. So down in Hollywood where you're at, do you find that there's kind of a good comic scene down there? Or do you think that L.A. in general has kind of a stigma against it or for it? Or what? what's kind of the, the feeling for comic art? Or like un- underground comic art? Yeah. There's, there's a million artists. Right. Um, well, I would have to say, I mean, I do feel it in different stores that I go uh, to, especially before the pandemic. There were a lot of stores like either uh, a shop called Quest or uh, The Shack or even, I mean, even um, it was Blast Off Comics before they recently were bought by uh, Collector's Paradise, where they would either have a section or they would have a full-blown like uh, display of like different local artists, different underground stuff. And I really, I mean... Andrew McLean had a art show at a shop called Quest several years ago, and they had like his original art on the walls. They had all their like all of his books. There were tons of people from that smaller scene came coming out to congratulate him for like the whole image uh, deal and uh, all the success that he had garnered from that. So I do definitely feel that. And and there's always even if it's a smaller section in the store, there's still a noticeable section, and you can still like browse through and go, okay, I like that, I like that. I actually went to a comic book store today, uh, right down the block from me, uh, Collector's Paradise. And yeah, I was pitching them, Clusterfucks, going, hey, you know, what can I do to get my comic into your store? And they did have a little section that they showed me of local people. And I saw like Tom Neely there. I saw it run Papa. So yeah, there there is a love and there's a respect. Obviously, it doesn't do them gangbusters, but if they have a couple things in stock, it shows the diversity. It shows there's other things. And, you know, you never know which one of those guys might launch to, like, the next level of comics. I, I was listening to your interview or your uh, review of Clusterfucks uh, through 11 O'Clock Comics podcast. Yes. Mm-hmm. A week or so ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they regard you highly on being, like, a kid that gave up on mainstream comics and seeks out those those areas of comic book shops that are the the independent that are the, you can only get them there. The artists that the kids working there know um, what, what's, how long have you been into comics in general? And then when was the shift of you getting into like the real, like nitty gritty independent artist side of it? So I grew up in a household that had collections of Bloom County, of uh, Calvin and Hobbes of the far side. So my first experience with the visual medium was through comic strips. And so every day when the paper would come, after my mom was done reading the comics, I'd always get the comic section. And so that was my only real experience. I wasn't the kind of kid who had a comic book store in his neighborhood. Uh, I didn't know anyone who was really into the comics. The Marvel movies and the DC stuff weren't like the biggest thing on the planet. So I was kind of sheltered in that respect. And it was only in high school when I really started to notice certain things like graphic novels and realizing, oh, this is a much bigger world because like my local bookstore only had a few things in stock. And so there wasn't really, it wasn't in my price range or I didn't know anything about it. Uh, My cousins grew up with uh, like, 
Tintin, with Mouse, with a couple other like big names. And so that's where I was also kind of experiencing new things. Like I wasn't directly influenced by like superhero comics until much later in high school. And that's when I started going, okay, all right, let me, I, I can't read everything. So let me start listening to podcasts. And through podcasts, I decided I can do a podcast. It was at that point where comic podcasts blew up, went away. And then now they're like everywhere again, everyone in their grandmother has one. But I was on the very end of that first wave. And I would go down to my comic book shop after high school, collect all these comics, review them and do all that stuff. And then slowly but surely, I was getting really tired of the superhero stuff because it was kind of like very formulaic. I had entered that whole thing during like the biggest events, whether it was like Secret Identity, Infinite Crisis, Civil War. And it was like, oh my God, this is like my bank account can't handle it. Like how, how do people figure out which ones to, to read and spend their money on? Because I had friends who were like buying like the, 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 uh, like the exclusive like one in 100 covers, variant covers for like, you know, hundreds of dollars. Yeah. It just blew my mind. I was like, you, even then I knew this isn't going to be worth anything in a couple of years. You do realize this, right? You're wasting your money. Yeah. But when um, I started doing the video podcast, I would want to do like indie episodes, right? Uh, it was like an open call for anyone who had an independent comic. Hey, just forward me either a physical copy or a PDF and I'll review it on the show. And I really started to enjoy, like, cause you could get the love and the passion these people were putting into their products. Right. And that's what really like really turned me on to that whole idea of, well, okay, superheroes, they don't need our help uh, staying keeping this industry afloat. It's these smaller guys who really want to, you know, do this for a living that you want to support. And so that kind of came my battle call of just like support independent comics and, you know, you, they they need your money more than, like, you know, the the Ethan Van Skybers of the world do. Th those guys are just fine with their page rates. These guys are probably doing this out of their, you know, bedroom. They're they're putting their heart and soul into this. These are the people you want to support. And so through from then, I was just kind of over superhero comics. And I just primarily focused on anything independent, whether it was drawn quarterly, fanographics, and then just even smaller than that, like the self-published stuff. Right. Anything that's kind of like more of the artist driven comic, not necessarily absolutely story or the superhero, but just what that artist wants to present to the world. What I yeah. love that you brought up that you really kind of started with while looking at the newspaper comics, because most of the comic artists that we've talked to or that are out there really started in the Marvel or the DC world and kind yeah. of got into the superhero stuff. But you a lot of times when I at least think about comics, I, I forget completely about comic strips in the in the newspaper. In and the that those are, that's right. literally the same world, just yeah. done in a different medium. You're going to make a book about it or you're going to make a weekly strip or whatever. And I like how you're kind of combining the two. Like you're not necessarily creating a superhero comic, but you're doing a book in a story way that they did without creating this larger than life character. Like it's an average Joe Schmo going through COVID. You know? Right, well, it's like in the same medium, they have a choice now. They can pick a superhero comic or they can pick up an indie book and it's in the same platform and you know, you know, give them some competition, the big guys. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great. I, you really kind of helped me open my eyes right now to realize those are kind of in the same world when it comes to comics, you know, you don't oh, absolutely. Yeah. in the same world as, you know, at, uh, Batman, Batman, 
Sure, let's just go basic. <laughs> Batman. I was trying to do a deep pull right now. So <laughs> you looked, you looked so at you looked at me like, "Come like, on, dude, dude you got this." Got Batman. <laughs> Batman. That's who. Yeah. You know, everyone knows him and Dilbert. <laughs> no, but it, it it it's great. Like because there is this kind of de- definition between the two: the superhero art and this kind of daily, regular guy comic book art, and being able to bring the two together. Uh, you call it con artist in the beginning of yours, but in reality, it's so much more than that. It's it's tricking somebody into realizing that they like something. I mean, you know, any way to do that, right? Any way to get that book into people's hands and make them look at it in a different perspective. Like, it, it, it's one thing to sell it on what's inside and, oh, you'll be amazed and whatnot. But if they actually sit down and read through it, they might come out of it with a different perspective. And, you know, if they do, great. If, if, if not, then, you know, I, I hope they took something else out of it. Cameron, you said when you were getting this all together, you didn't really know most of the artists that you were working with, right? They're yeah. kind of contributors. Um, has it been more and more contributors that you're not familiar with, like going forward with the second and third issue and stuff, getting ready for that? When I first started the Instagram account, cause that was the main like source of me keeping an eye on things. I didn't like Twitter because people would write prose novels, but like with Instagram, you get a whole, you can just, you can just keep scrolling forever and always you're going to get some kind of art coming up in your feed. So I was following a lot of different people at the time. A lot of people I really enjoyed. And Brian judge was the first guy who came to me and said, Hey, I loved, I have some stuff that's unpublished. I'd love to pitch it to you. And I said, yeah. And after, after I had him uh, contribute his stuff, he was like, let me know if you want me to spread word. I'm, you know, I, I know a lot of people, different communities. I can, you know, help spread the word that you're taking submissions and stuff. And I said, sure, why not? And through, through, through all those people, like, I mean, half of them, I knew half of them, I did, but looking through their whole feed and what their style was and their art and all that, I fell in love with a lot of these people and, you know, you, you start following people and they start following you back. So in the second and third issue, there are some repeats from uh, issue one with like maybe longer stories or even more stuff. And then there's some more recent people that I've either reached out to myself or I've, uh, they've come to me and it was just like, how was this person not on my radar? This person is amazing. I need to have them in these pages. So yeah. Yeah, dude, I thought it was really cool because you have, Brian Judge does the one page, you know, four frame comics in, in this issue. Yeah. And then, is it Vicky Smalls who does the um, Alien Brothers? Is that her? No, that's um, Eric Jasek. Uh, Vicky Smalls did the uh, postcards from um, Death Valley, I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So well, even hers. And then um, going into, is it Eric Jasek's, uh, the, the two brothers, uh, Aliens? The UFO Bros, yeah. Like a, it's a six-page full mm-hmm. kind of spread, comic spread, it, to one-page comics. You know, it, yeah. it's, it's a diverse uh, lineup. I think all the illustration is on par with each other. Nothing sets anything back or pushes, you know what I mean? Like it's not yeah. one thing over the other. It, it, as different as it is, and, and certainly there's more that's more polished and less polished, but I think it all like really flows well together and kudos on that because that's, that's hard uh, when you're putting something out that's other people's work to make it look natural. 
Yeah, thanks, man. I actually, yeah, I'm glad you picked up on that because whenever I'm reading an anthology of any kind, if it's just like story after story after story, I mean, it could be good, but if it's kind of like, meh, so-so to so-so, you need that palate cleanser. So like the one-page stuff that I have in between the stories, right. that's like your little slice of ginger after the sushi. So you get a little like, okay, a little fresh, a little stop, a little break, and then you go right on to the next one. <laughs> yeah, please excuse my analogy here, but it's kind of like like cartoons in the 90s or the early 2000s when I was a kid, like Animaniacs, for instance. Mm -hmm. A solid story throughout the whole thing, but it's broken up with Pinky and the Brain and these random little cartoons throughout that give you a quick palate cleanser because there's so much comedy or so much going on mm -hmm. and then it breaks it up and then gives you the whole thing rather than giving a, like a reality show that's just the same thing throughout the entire episode, you know? I, yeah, especially... Yeah, especially if it's like going to be like a lot of humor or like a lot of drama, you don't know what to expect next. So rather than already going in with preconceived notions, there's just a little break you get just to enjoy it and then just really make whatever you will of it. Was there any content that you received from any of the artists that threw you through a loop or like you were, you don't have to like say names or what it was or anything, but <laughs> did you, did you catch any curveballs? Obviously, like putting this out, did you have any second thoughts about like, is this going to mash up? Right now, um, for the second and third issues, um, there are a few like just full page illustration pieces that people have submitted. And some of them, um, yeah, I, I, I'll leave it a surprise, but um, there's a couple that there's so much going on. And the guy submitted like two of these pages. And so first I was confused because he wasn't really getting back to me on email anyway. So I was like, now, is this the same thing? Like, is this the same story or are these two different like pieces? And I eventually found out there were two different pieces, but like each piece, there's so much happening that like your eye is just scanning the page and noticing all this crazy stuff. When I was editing it, like I was almost pulling out my hair because it was so hard to keep track of like, okay, what part did I just edit? Because I'm going like meticulously with a fine tooth comb, just to make sure like there's no like, you know, uh, pencils or any like scuffs or anything like that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, I haven't felt that with the first issue, but sometimes with the submissions, when people want to send me their portfolio, some stuff will like have hardcore pornography or like things with penetration. I'm just like, that's great. I'm glad that that's your, uh, you know, that whatever floats your boat. I can't put that here because I want to sell this places and I don't want to get, I mean, and I get underground comics, Robert Crumb, you know, all that fun stuff. Right. But that I mean, makes and yeah, and so it's like, but I'm just starting out here. I don't want to have that reputation going forward of, oh, yeah, porn comics, this guy, yeah. You yeah. like furries? You like, you know, them making love with trees? This you know, guy. You know Cam from North Hollywood? Really? Yeah. The porn comics. Exactly. I don't want to have that reputation <laughs> quite yet. Like, nudity's fine, but, like, as long as it's tasteful nudes. You know, we don't want to see all of a sudden... I won't even describe it, but yes, like well, that's exactly what you mean. Like it, yes. it's part of the like lowbrow comic culture, and it's it's a backbone of it, honestly. But <laughs> it's not metal, bro. Yeah, it's not necessarily exactly. No, it's yep. not necessarily something that it needs to be included into every comic, especially an anthology, where it could take away from other people's work. And also, yeah, I don't want someone else to be like insulted that like, why did you put my story right behind this? Like, chances are, if someone like read that, they wouldn't want to continue on or they'd have to then feel questions like, why did you want to go in this anthology where, you know, it's very blue and yet, you know, yours is right next to it talking about, you know, raising your daughter or whatever. Yeah, You don't want to have any of those kind of 
uh, situations arise. So, I mean, right now I like the format I have. I, I am, I'm enjoying the content that I'm getting back from people. Even if it's sometimes on the borderline, no one's crossing that line. And that's what I respect. That's cool, man. And that's, I mean, it's important to like set those boundaries for yourself, but also not label yourself as one way or the other when it comes to accepting submissions and wanting to be open to any artist that wants to contribute, because that's the most important thing. And I mean, I hope like, like the title alone, clusterfuck, like I love that yeah. word. And then just to add an X on it, just so, you know, you can get through some Google searches. That's yeah. all I want at the end. You should know what you're getting into. I would feel comfortable giving the comic to like my eight-year-old nephew. Exactly. Even you don't want that. Even with, yes. you know what I mean? Like, I don't need my niece running around and her uncle saying, oh, she learned a new word today. It's your comic book. And then I'm not invited to the next Hanukkah celebration. <laughs> That's absolutely right. That's so funny. dude. You know, so I have to bring this up. Something about the way that you put your comic together. And I know we've already kind of gone, gone through this about how it's broken up or whatever. Something about the way that you were able to put it together I don't know if it's just the visuals of the sizing of everything, the placement or whatever. It, it feels like you want to turn the next page. And that is something that's not common, it, at least for me. I'm not a big comic book guy. I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a square, you know what I mean, when it comes <laughs> to that type of thing. But hey, it's hip to be a square. <laughs> yeah, but I felt like I was watching something as I was flipping through. You wanted to keep going through it, for sure. Yeah, there was something that made me keep wanting it to may, turn that Maybe page. It's, it's not too heavy of, like, dense black pages or all white pages. Like, it's a good mix of... You want to see what's next? It's good, dude. I, I fucking really like it. How did you do that? Well, <laughs> <laughs> a magician never reveals a secret. Someone hey, wants to hear that process because I sure as hell was like, how did he get me wanting to turn this page again? I'm on, <laughs> I'm on page seven already. You know, it might have something to do with the size, honestly. Um, I, while there's the traditional comic book size, um, in recent years, uh, I've been huge fans of these two fanzines in particular, uh, Strangers and Bubbles. And their format, their size is just like magazine size. And for whatever reason, whenever I get in the mail and flip through it, it felt good. Like I had that similar kind of experience of I want to keep I want to keep turning the pages like there's something about the weight. It's not like you're sitting in a, a magazine or a waiting room and reading a magazine because that's a little bit more polished and a little denser and heavier. But it was light enough with like the 44 pages that like, okay, well, if I keep going and keep going, like it doesn't feel like, you know, it's, it's doesn't feel like it's work. It doesn't feel like I'm trudging through this and like, I, I just got to get it done so I can go on and, you know, talk about it or whatever. No, it's, it's, I feel like the size of the pages, it's, it's a skinny enough package where it's not gonna, you're not gonna lose interest, but you're also going to be, you know, hooked until you're completely through it. And you'll remember it because I've always been of the belief art should be big. It should be, it shouldn't be like just tiny. You should be able to really experience it and really enjoy it and get an eyeful. Hell yeah, dude. And you did. Yeah. I mean, you really did with this. We were, like I said, I couldn't wait to turn the next page, but the, there was a different feel to it. There was a very good feel that wanted me to just, I just wanted to keep going through it. So yeah, I, it's not necessarily a story where you're like driven by seeing what happens next. 
it's a story of like what kind of art's going to come next because everything's a little different. Yeah, and you said that really well. It's not work to get through it. And I think that said it actually perfect. It was no work. There was no like, okay, I need to get through this next page so I can see what happens. I got right. excitement through the entire thing. Hey, dude, you got Jim excited. Hey, there we go. That's Every a cheesy uh, like radio joke. Um, now, but besides Clusterfucks 2 and 3 coming out later this year, you're kind of planning on it being seasonal, right? Like every three to four months. Yeah. Um, do you have any other projects that you're working on currently, maybe for yourself or any, any other outlets? I do. Um, well, during pandemic, I, I had been writing a, an actual like prose book for the past several years, and I finally was able to finish it. I finally got my notes back from an editor I hired, and now I don't really want to go at it again, just because that's like more work. And I feel like, you know, yes, she definitely knows what I need to, you know, fix this, but I don't want to put myself back in that, uh, that world right now, that headspace, just because comics are a lot more immediate when you get that sense of, uh, like accomplishment. Yes, I could do this in a week, but, um, for on the comic side of things, um, before clusterfucks even was an idea, I have been sketching these, uh, Fugu comics. It stars as popper fish, that like it's a fugu, it kills people. It's kind of like that Kill Bill kind of uh, violence where even if you just like touch one of its spikes, you just blow up in blood. So oh. it's all these <laughs> creative violence, yeah. Yes, yes. Um, it's all these creative ways for you know to death by fugus or fugu in pop culture. And so I've been definitely working on that because the, the original idea was I'd have a collection of that, like uh, issue one back in 2006, but then I was hired. So then I was like, all right, well, this will be on the back burner and then your life is a complete mess. But again, through furlough, because I've been illustrating more, I've been doing a lot more comics for myself, including these Fugu comics. And so I really wanna have that launch at the same time as Clusterfucks number two. So you have a little bit of, okay, here's more of the great anthology with all these people. And then if you want something from me specifically, here's uh, my own comic full of similar things, similar size and in color, hopefully. I don't want to give anything away, but is it going to be kind of uh, classic? You, you haven't talked about this, but is it going to be a, a flip side, like a, a, a B side to the comic where it's upside down on the second half? <laughs> no, I mean, that would be an interesting idea, but I want people to, if they want to get cluster bucks, that's what they're getting. They're not getting, what the hell are these doodles of a fish killing people? No, that's going to be <laughs> its own separate thing. And then, you know, yeah, I feel, yeah. And I, I don't think the print run will be as big just because, it's me and I, well, I do have people who want to support me and I have fans and whatnot. You're not getting into comics to make money. Let's just put it that way. You're doing it because it's <laughs> passion. It's a love. And for Fugu comics, it's just something that I've been meaning to publish all these years. And now I can finally, you know, focus on that. I, I was actually doing some illustrations before you guys even called. So it was, it's, it's on my mind right now. This guy always working. Well, I saw all the stuff you did in the last couple of days. I don't know if that was live, whether you were posting it, but the first few frames of Fugu. Yes. Very dope. Yes. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, my love of uh, Kaiju films and Ultraman, and it's going to just be as Fugu. So like there's, that's the little twist. When, when did the like uh, Japanese culture, like just by reading comics or how did you get influenced by that? Definitely with Junji Ito with like Gaio growing up that when that hit the scene, I remember reading that like a translated version on like a Tumblr account or something like that. I was like, holy shit. It just like rocked my world. Like horror comics are one thing, but then there's Genji Ito horror comics. And that's just like one of those things where I get chills just thinking about certain stories. But um, 
when I started working at Famous Monsters of Filmland, I kind of had a sheltered childhood. I wasn't allowed to watch like the monster movies or, or, you know, things that might make me scared and have nightmares because I was the first child and the parents didn't want to fuck me up. Little did they know they fucked me up by keeping me sheltered by certain things. And so I could really appreciate these things as a grown up. And so when I was working at Famous Monsters, you had the hammer horror, you had classic horror, you had kaijus, you had Godzilla. And like, I just fell in love because it was so cheesy. And yet like just the tiny little like details. So these sets that were just being demolished were it just encapsulated my attention. And yeah. I have like all the gamma stuff now, all like the uh, criterion collection of Godzilla and the Ultraman stuff. And actually, if you want to watch Ultraman for free, this is not a paid plug or endorsement. Shout Factory <laughs> TV, they have their own app that you can like get on the Roku or Amazon Prime. And they have for free, like all the Ultraman, because they recently got the license, along with cool things like the Ultrabats, or the, the Ultrabats, the Aquabats Super Show, Hammer Horror stuff, uh, jo- Johnny Carson late night clips, like cool stuff like that. But I mean, it's always been infused in my veins and my wife hates it. Because, like, I'll have, like, on a weekend, I'll just go through a whole monster movie marathon. And she's like, are you done yet? Like, I kind of want to do yoga out here. I'm like, no, 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 no. Gamera is destroying the city right now. Yeah, Wait yeah. for Gamera. I, I know the things that I, do, are like, I'm passionate about. And, like, my wife might not feel the same way. Like, <laughs> I know I've seen Karate Kid a thousand times. I'm going to continue watching it right now. And then you, you can do yoga. Yeah, that'll be, that's fine. Um, have you been watching Cobra Kai? Yeah, dude, I watched it and I, I, I really like it. I'll put it in the most general sense of it. I really like it. We could do a whole podcast on what I don't like about it, but it's good. <laughs> Cause I never grew up with uh karate kid. I actually watched the screeners for Cobra Kai through work before, like it even came out on YouTube red back in the day. And yeah. I keep in mind, I hadn't seen the movies and yet I was entertained by it. And I thought it was really cool how they were able to splice old scenes from the movie into the show and still make it work. And I was thinking if they can get this, like this method of storytelling down, who knows what other like classic cult movies, if you wanted to make it or readapt it into like a television show today could like take a page from that playbook and do something even cooler. And I mean, they do do that to a sense where they've adapted film to television and uh, rebooted film and television franchises now mm-hmm. kind of give him a modern twist and stuff and i think cobra kai does do a good job about a lot of it um just call me a purist and like you know ralph Macchio's the man or uh ralph Macchio's all right pat Morita's the man and if there's no pat Morita, like eh, it's not quite karate kid like you said you're the purist so i'll take your word for it the only reason cobra kai got to be rebooted was because of neil patrick harris he made it a very good, very big point in uh, How I Met, How your, I mother. met your Mother that basically Billy Zach, yeah, yeah, Billy Zach was, was the, the good the guy, actually yeah, good yeah. Eight guy, and there was this entire false dialogue going That's on. True, and that was ten years kid. ago. And so now, ten years later, they're they're able to like develop the concept. I'm, I'm telling you, that's I'll give I that one for. to you. That's pretty good. <laughs> hey, really, really quick, I have to. I don't want to pull on your heartstrings too much, but I noticed something uh, in going through all of your social media. Um, how much of an in, influence was S. Clay Wilson, and how how was this last week for you? I was so like upset that I couldn't like tackle it 
as soon as possible because I was so being, I was being slammed with orders for clusterfuck comics. Number one, that like, that was where all my, like all my attention was and focus was. And I start seeing like the checker demon coming up in my feed and stuff like that. And I was like, Oh, okay. People are appreciating it. And then when I finally was able to sit down and like go through the feeds and realize like, Oh, he had passed. It did break my heart just because like he could have been, like he could have been gone strong still like Robert Crumb in a sense so that, and, and yet still outdoing Crumb in some of the comics and some of the, and well, some of the yeah, is, is impeccable. And oh, style yeah. really kind of created a, a definition between certain styles. Yeah, no, I remember when I first like was introduced to his works and like I, I picked up an old com or a old issue of zap. It was just like, Holy shit. Who is this guy? Like I want to follow him. And then, seeing what he went through like several years ago with that heartbreaking accident and just never being able to really fully recover from it. Then it was, it, it, it really was just like, he was really cut down and he wasn't able to like, you know, produce even more cool stuff nowadays. And I feel like if he was in his prime still, or even just working still, he would have been able to just like submit something else that was going to blow everyone's mind because he was really one of those pioneers that really took it to the edge and fucking swan dived off of it and said, watch this. I'm going to hold my beer. I'm going to do a flip here. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, no, it was really, really oh, yeah. upsetting when he passed, but like, I'm glad it's drawing more attention to his earlier works and getting people, new eyes who might not have ever heard of them really involved and interested. I think that's the way we're going to see with this new kind of resurgence in comic book art and lowbrow art is that these guys that worked their whole life to create this phenomenal body of work are going to start getting the recognition. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, in, in the last 40, 50 years, not so much, but mm -hmm. I, I think this generation really can like look back and appreciate where the stuff that they like comes from. Oh, absolutely. No matter how famous that person may have gotten or how, how dilapidated their work may have become over years. I don't know if that's the right word, but just kind of downtrodden. It became something and it created so much more than what it maybe was at that time. And I, mm -hmm. I really do feel like that's kind of the way that that his work was. It, it worked at the time and it was obviously appreciated, but it's unfortunate that it takes someone to pass to go back and really give it that yeah that let me look that at it again in, in this eye but when you when somebody does pass it really gives it that view that we can look at it in a completely different spec and one of the other silver linings is like their stuff might have been out of print for years prior to them being, you know, to them dying. And so then that gives publishers the opportunity to like really see how much of an impact this person might have had on like top tier artists is just longtime fans and then maybe want to contact the, you know, the estate or whatever and try to have some giant collection or an omnibus of just like, okay, here's all their published works from like a couple of decades. And I mean, if you get like a good like treatment, whether it's like Toshin or like Fanographics and someone who's really going to put that care into it, it could be something really worth your money and just seeing it through a different lens in that sense of just like, wow, why weren't we talking about this person all the time? And that's why I love going through like old, com or, uh, old um, comics journals and like just 
going through different like websites that really focus on not just, you know, new stuff, but like interviews with older creators as well. There's a great magazine called comic book creator from tomorrow's publishing. And they have a lot of interviews with people who like, you have your Barry Windsor Smiths, but then you might have other people you've never even heard of, or you might not have been as familiar with their work. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've put down an issue and gone to eBay or Amazon just to see like, okay, is this stuff still in print? Can I get a copy? How did this slip past my radar? I gotta, I gotta get on this. Dude, I just, I just bought a, a book of poetry that was published in like the seventies um, by Lou Reed. Uh, oh, wow. The Weather Underground fame, right? Um, mm. But it's just something that like, I didn't think was readily available. I got it for $16 on Amazon. Like it, it's crazy to think that there's so much art and uh, you know, dr- art in the sense of poems, writing, comics, uh, illustrations that we don't even know about. Yeah. Whether we know the artist or not. Like I've been a Lou Reed fan forever. I didn't know that this was $16 on Amazon. I could just buy it. Like it's, it's crazy. There's a lot of work out there that you have to kind of dig for. And I mean, that's where you go through like the backs of like, you know, books on a certain subject and you see a little footnote in the bibliography and then you have to track that down because yeah, if, it, if we had social media back then, we could easily just be like, oh yeah, guys, here's the link to this person's new thing. But no, like you said, you're gonna, you never know when it's gonna hit, whether you're going through an old bookstore, whether you're going through an old record store and going like, where the hell has this been all my life? And like, oh, it was a limited print run of 50 copies. It's like, well, yeah, that's why. So It's always the person that works at the bookstore or the record store that's like, no, nah, what you want, dude, is this, because yeah, this right. is the fire, right? They and it's know. like, it's someone that, you know, is just well-versed and devotes their life to the the history and the knowledge and like, they're the preservers. It's like the, the geeks that work at record stores and bookstores, you know? <laughs> so. And they can pass on that knowledge to a new generation who's a little bit more tech savvy and really keep it alive. And, you know, then it becomes alive, re-alive, re- reimagined. And, you know, hopefully for a new generation to enjoy. Do you, do you feel like it, it gets easier now that everything is um, able to be digitally sent to each other instead of trying to get hard copies of things? Or did you ever have an experience where you had to get hard copies of stuff to people? I'm traditionally, I love physical copies and I love hardcovers and I just like feeling it in my hand, smelling it. And like, especially if it's not a reprint of any kind, like the original coloring and ink and all that fun stuff. Cause mm-hmm. I mean, while you might love certain things from like DC or Marvel, sometimes they update it and they update the coloring and you just want to claw your eyes out cause it looks so bad. <laughs> but um, while I do, I do enjoy people getting into comics more and more because of whether it's pop culture, whether it's media. I mean, digital is still a huge thing for some people. And some people only read, you know, comics on their iPads. Um, I've never really had to experience that. The only time I really did was when I was doing comic book reviews, they would send in press copies, uh, like through PDF files. And so I would have a whole inbox, like through either Dark Horse or Image or, you know, Marvel of all these different PDFs that you could just, you know, go through and, and, you know, then pick and choose what you want to read. But I mean, I'm just always more of a traditionalist. So if people are getting it through digital and things are being archived through digital, that's great because also with digital, you can print it out again eventually. So maybe it'll be just like, you know, one big, it'll just snake eating its tail at the end of the day, but whatever works for people. Right on, dude. I, I, I like, I always think that the, the fun of um, a analog print or should I say a uh, ink print is the imperfections, like the, the little things that 
you know, you if you have a digital print for now on, now that it's digital printing, everything's going to look exactly the same every reissue. Perfect. Without, I mean, with the exception of doing different coloring or something like you mentioned, which takes away from your original idea of why you like the thing in the beginning. Yeah. But there's something about a mess. Like there's something about like ink that's not supposed to be there or, you know, a little misprint or tilt that you can see that, you know, I don't know, it's like handmade. It seems, it seems less robotic mm -hmm. uh, in that sense to me, but I don't know. I, no, you're totally right. I mean, in this first issue, I did notice when I was going through it, I was like, oh my God, I do have a, I have an issue here. On Ugly Princess, this is like a, a exclusive here, right by the dragon's arm, there's a number three from the page I was doing in InDesign. So when I saw that, I was like, oh my God. But you know who's going to see this? Just me. And I'm just like, okay, no, well, there's the imperfection right there. I'm not going to lie, dude. I, I noticed it. But I didn't notice it when I did the proofs. I noticed it when I got the, the comics back mm -hmm. and looking at it like that. He thought, oh, that's an interesting no, place I, for I, three. Very artistic. I swear to God, <laughs> I started looking for a two and a one. Like it was a fucking <laughs> meme that was like, look in this corner. Look down here. Look over by this. And I was like, am I crazy or is the three intentional? So I just left it like it was the artist's intent to, to do it. At that point, I couldn't reprint it. You know, you know. No, yeah, more of behind the scenes. Yeah. With <laughs> you seem really professional. I'm like, I messed up twice, dude. I don't know. What the fuck <laughs> no, I mean, I, but I, this, like you're saying, the imperfections like that, like that's how you know this wasn't just like some something printed up by a robot. Like, yeah, yeah. and a that's one of the things. A little magic yeah. in there. Absolutely. And so maybe I'll take your suggestion for the second issue. I'll have one of those memes, like look in the corner. Now look on page 37. <laughs> now look in the center. You lost the game or whatever the kids are saying nowadays. I don't know. They're just, you know, you're canceled. You're done. You're done. That's what the kids are saying these days. Canceled. <laughs> oh, man. But, hey, um, before we get going here, is there anything you want to plug as far as, uh, well, obviously tell them where they can get the comic and stuff, but what you have going on coming up. Sure. Uh, well, if you're interested in uh, getting comic and knowing a little bit more about me or the things I'm up to, you can go to camiescomiccorner.com. And uh, for the comic stuff, you can just slash comics, C-O-M-I-X, or it's right there on the website. Um, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at camcomiccorner. Um, just type in my name, Cameron Hathaway. I come up and old articles I've written, old videos I've starred in. All, I'm all over the place. Um, you can see my original art collection at one point on one link, but um, just coming up, keep an eye out on at clusterfuck comics on Instagram for like behind the scenes stuff of things I'm working on for issues two and three and for Fubu comics. Send me a message. If you are interested in contributing in a future issue, possibly we can definitely uh, chat about that, but um, no, I mean, just support indie comics. That's all I have to really say about that. And, People like uh, like you, Matt, you know, you're helping our dream come to life. So I really appreciate it. And yeah, I mean, it's a great community. If you can find yourself involved in some way, shape or form, even if it's just as simple as supporting it by liking certain posts and stuff like that, you know, people are doing this because they want to entertain you. And if you take something out of it, great. If you don't, it's not for you. There's hundreds of thousands of different other things you can check out in the meantime. <laughs> yeah, dude. Hell yeah. yeah. Well, this has been Cameron Hathaway. Cam, let's talk again when we do issue two. I, we haven't talked about it or if you're even 
you know, going through me. Are you really trying to sell him at the end of the podcast? I'm just, I'm, you know, this is my plug right here. Oh, uh, guys. I, oh, is that the time? Uh, I can't talk right now. I gotta go. Uh, regardless of how it comes out, let's talk about how it came out. Sure. Absolutely. You know what? We'll try to get Charles on too. And then we'll just like quiz him about all of his like stuff. He might have taught us whether it was taking acid or, you know, all sorts of different things. Let's let's do that. We we should do a fun episode where Charles is on and we're just his students asking him questions like we would have in uh you know 2006 or 7 or whatever it was. Can I go to the bathroom? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> it's like yeah, get the fuck out of here. The fuck. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on. We'll definitely chat again when the issue 2 comes out or Fugu number 1. So yeah, I had fun. I hope you guys did too. Dude, I had a great time. Great time, man. Thank you so much, Cam, for being here. It was a good conversation. Thanks for sharing yourself to us and opening up on your process, man. Thank you. Now I'm going to go put on some pants. So uh, you guys have a good rest of your day. All right, man. Take (laughs) care. Have a good night. That was a very fun time with Cam. That was fucking good. I like it. I like that guy. like that guy? Yeah, he's a good guy. He's a good dude. That's a good guy. Yeah, no, he's super energetic, like, about what he's doing, which is refreshing. He's got like a positive outlook on it. He's like, I'm going to get fired. I'm going to fucking start a comic. Yeah. I mean, how many people would have that kind of positive attitude going forward? It... I know I wouldn't. No, oh, wait, I do. Oh, wait, I do. No, but I'm, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's few and far between the people that have the motivation to work, not only for themselves, but for other people to, to put work out on like a platform like yeah, that. Yeah. He's really helping promote that, that Hollywood comic scene. And it's really awesome. And I think it's people from all over. I don't think it's just LA. I think, I think it's just, he just gets submissions because of the podcast and the blog and stuff he had before. Awesome. Well, like I said, man, it's a page turner. Go check it out. Yeah. Clusterfucks number one, go check it out. Printed by rat nest sticker company. All right, man. Rat nest podcast. Yeah. episode 75 version. Thanks again for being here with me, Jim. We'll see you next time, guys. All right. Have a good night.